This is going to be a strange morning. Because I'm going to do something different than normal. No, I'm still going to preach. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> We're still going to have a sermon. But uh, I'm going to talk about the existence of God. Isn't that, you know, I, I've, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, that's kind of a silly thing to do. Because people are here because they believe in God. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be here. So why, why, would, I, why would I talk about that? But you know, and I know, that the existence of God is coming under attack big time. People are uh, everywhere. Just, just the fact that we even believe in God is, is uh, ridiculed and made fun of. And this morning, I want to give you some good news to hang on to. I want to put some substance in your faith. I want you to go home proud that you believe in God, Amen. that there is something there that you can hang your hat on. And I'm going to do it in this context. I'm going to preach through the fall. I'm going to preach through the book of Genesis, probably through the whole thing. We'll go a little bit faster than we're going to go this morning, because this morning I'm going to talk about four words, in the beginning, God. Uh, and then next week, I'm going to add one more word. Next week, I'm going to talk about in the beginning, God created. And then we'll see where we go from there. But uh, after that, we'll speed up just a little bit. We're not going to take one word at a time through Genesis. But uh, we will we'll go a little bit further. But the scripture begins, the Bible begins... When you pick it up and begin to read it, it says, In the beginning, God. That's a statement of faith to begin with. The question is, is it factual? Is it true, like many people believe, that science has proved there is no God? That, that you know, there, there just isn't a God. They, and, and people like you and me, who continue to believe in God, we just ignore the facts and come and believe in God anyway because we choose to believe uh, by faith. We, were grow we grew up, I grew up, being taught about God and about Jesus and about the, the, the things of faith. And then I went to high school, I went to biology class, and I learned about this guy named Charles Darwin and how Charles Darwin's theory removes the need for God. We don't need God anymore because we have the theories that Charles Darwin put up. And, of course, today they say, well, they're no longer theories. The facts of, of evolution are, are well established. Uh, and so a lot of people believe that, God, that Darwin and those who have followed have proved there's no God. There, there's no need for God. And it's in our media. It's on television. It's everywhere we look. Uh, you know, it doesn't make any difference what you're reading, what you're studying. Somehow or another, they bring in evolution. Somehow or another, to teach you that uh, you know the world is billions and billions and billions and billions of years old. Uh, in the 1970s, Walter Cronkite, in a documentary on evolution on public television, said, "If you go back far enough, we and the chimps share a common ancestor. My father's 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 father, going back five million years ago." was an ape. It was not contested. You know, they, they just accepted it. Time out. We don't worry about those kids. They can make all the noise. When my kids are here, they're running back and forth up and down here. 
and, and we're just so happy to have little guys. Um, Carl Sagan in the 80s, in his TV series, it was called Cosmos, he was fond of saying, the universe is all there is, or ever was, or there ever will be. And you heard that every week as he presented his, his program on evolution and on the cosmos. Just, just a side note, I wish we could ask Carl and Walter about God now. But uh, unfortunately, we're not able to do that. But you read testimony after testimony after testimony of atheists, and former atheists, by the way, who say that somewhere in their education, the teaching about Charles Darwin and evolution destroyed their faith. It made them realize that there was no need for God and they didn't have to believe in the God that they were taught as they were growing up. And so my question is, is that true? Is that true? Did that really happen? And as I preach this morning, as I talk this morning, I'm going to use a lot more quotes than I normally do. And the reason is, you see, you know this, I'm a Baptist preacher. You know that already, right? So you know I believe in creation. I, you know, I wouldn't be here if I didn't. Some would say I'm a fundamentalist, backwoods, non-sophisticated, non-educated, religious fanatic. Okay. <laughs> All except for the non-educated part, that's probably true. Um, and they say belief in God is based on faith, and science is based on physical evidence. Belief in God is based on what you can't see. Science is based on what you can see, and they're incompatible. And so a lot of people think that, and, and they think that about me and you, that for us to, to come to the church and believe in God, we have to check our brain at the door because science has pretty much disproved God. Is that true? You know, is that true? I know you don't think so, but <clears throat> listen to uh, physicist John Polkinghorne. He wrote a book called Quarks, Chaos, and Christianity. He said, science and religion are friends, not foes, in the common quest for knowledge. Some people may find this surprising, for there is a feeling throughout our society that religious belief is outmoded or downright impossible in a scientific age. I don't agree. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that if people in this so-called scientific age knew a bit more about science than many of them actually do, they'd find it easier to share my view. And here's what I know. I know, if I know anything, I know what the Bible says and I know how to interpret what the Bible says. And most of the time, you know, Actually, every week, I, I read a passage to you out of the scripture, and I tell you what it says. And I tell you how to interpret it, and then I try to apply it to our world today. This, this is how we live because of what God has written in his word. But when it comes to the existence of God, the Bible simply says, in the beginning, God. Amen. There is no argument for God. There is no philosophical argument for God. There's no other argument given for God anywhere. Uh, it, it just simply says, in the beginning, God. Actually, if you look at the Hebrew text, it says God. 
in the beginning. In other words, it starts with God. The Bible starts with God. That's the way that it begins. And then the whole Bible takes the existence of God as a given. So in order to talk to you about the existence of God, and if I talk to you just out of the Bible, I just simply have to say the Bible says God is. And, and we accept it. In the beginning, God. Well, yes or no? Yes or no? Creation? Darwin says evolution and those who follow Darwin. There's no need for God. Evolution can explain life. From a primordial sea, the mutations and natural selections, life moving from one cell form to a complexity of life today, including human life. You and I share the same ancestors of the monkeys and the apes. Uh, basically, they say life and the human species itself was the outcome of random mechanisms operating over the eons. Any of you in your classes in science about Darwin, did they ever tell you that in his book, The Origin of Species, the one that started all this, that he expressed a doubt that it was true? He was not certain that it was true. And here was his doubt. When they got down to the very beginning of life in the fossil forms, the fossil forms that they found were complex forms. They weren't the simple forms that you would think they would be if we went from cell to cell. And he gave several possible reasons of why that might be. But, but his main thing was, is if we don't find fossils that predate those, and understand, this is in the middle of the 1800s, and fossils had been looked for in very few places around the world, he was certain that we would find fossils leading up to those fossils. And, and that's called Darwin's Doubt. He wasn't sure. And they've never found any of those fossils. They don't exist. And so what scientists have done is they've gone from believing that uh, there were none of those, what they're, what, they, what they're going to now, they talk about the Cambrian explosion, where for some reason, some unknown way, just all of a sudden, these life forms appeared on the earth. Amen. Greg Easterbrook, in a book he's written, says science doesn't have the slightest idea how life began. There's no generally accepted theory, and the steps leading from the barren primordial world to the fragile chemistry of life seems imponderable. So did it believe, begin, how, how, how did it begin? Did it begin in a pond of scum? Was it random chance, chemical affinity? Uh, there are those who, who believe, there, there are scientists who believe that somehow or another life came to our planet on an asteroid or a comet, uh, and it was planted here from outer space. Um, of course, that doesn't solve the problem of where did it come from, just where did it come from here. That it started in deep ocean, deep sea ocean vents or in some kind of prebiotic chemicals and clay. There are those who, who in other words, there are scientists that are still arguing all those points, that that's where life came from. What they all begin with is simply that 
life arose as a result of some kind of spontaneous generation <coughs> beginning as an inorganic matter, a puddle of green slime, some kind of uh, prebiotic clay, and somehow or another fortuitous circumstances took place and maybe a light flash of lightning hit the scum and and life began and you know I know why do, why, why do people believe that I'm going to tell you why they believe that um, you know 200 years ago not quite 200 years ago 150 years ago uh, a scientist by the name of Louis Pasteur Louis Pasteur proved that spontaneous generation was not true. Life doesn't come from non-life. Life comes from life. Alex Rex Sandage, who was one time the protege of Edwin Hubble. You, you guys know who Edwin Hubble was? The Hubble Space, the, the Hubble Telescope that shows us all the, all the galaxies. We'll talk about that some next week. He was an astronomer, a protege of Hubble. Uh, he is an observational cosmologist. That means he looks at the and, and studies the world as it exists, astronomy. Uh, he's written about the secrets of the stars. He's one of the ones that wrote about uh, quasars. Uh, he revealed the globular clusters that we look at. In other words, he is a, uh, a well-known, renowned astronomer, cosmologist. Uh, he's been honored by the American Astronomical Society, the Swiss Physical Society, the Royal Astronomical Society, that would be England, the Swedish Academy of Science. He's received astronomy's equivalent of the Nobel Prize. And when he was 50 years old, he announced that he had become a Christian. It, it just floored people. And he says, here's why. The Big Bang was a supernatural event that cannot be explained within the realm of physics as we know it. Science has taken us to the first event. In other words, we can go back and look at the Big Bang, but it can't take us further to what caused it. The sudden emergence of matter, space, time, and energy pointed to the need for some kind of transcendence. So here's his statement. My science drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. It is only through the supernatural that I can understand the mystery of existence. And so the scientist was driven by his science to Christianity. And what, what I want you to, to see this morning, I, you know, uh, we just need to understand that evolution has become one of the biggest barriers to today's people being receptive, receptive to the gospel of Christ. There are many, many people who indicate that they won't ever even listen to the claims of Christianity because they believe that evolution has proved it wrong, unnecessary. And there are whole generations of students coming through our schools, coming through our education system, watching our, our TV programs, who, who know everything about evolution and nothing about the Bible. They've never heard about creation. Nobody ever told them about creation. I had a teacher in the uh, church where I taught in uh, New Mexico. She was an English teacher, and every year she, she taught freshman English. She did a survey 
of the students coming into her class, and she just asked them different questions about what they knew and what they had heard. And, and in there, she always included a question about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And she says every year, the number of people who know the answer to that question just goes down and down and down. Because you know, we're, we're, they're not being taught that anymore. Um, and so they, they've never heard about those things. And so, so what I want to do in the first several messages of this uh, series on Genesis is to give you a place to believe God without throwing your brain away. Okay? Give you a place to believe God and still keep all of your intelligence, so to speak. And, and here's why it's important. It's important to do that because that's the clear meaning of Scripture. That's what the Bible teaches. As I said, it just begins... In the beginning, God created. Uh, professor James Barr, a renowned Hebrew scholar and professor of interpretation of Holy Scripture at Oxford University, said this, As far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writer of Genesis 1 through 11 intended to convey to their readers the idea that the world was created as it said by God so that's the plain meaning of scripture so if you're going to accept something besides the you've got to throw away the first 11 chapters of the Bible Uh, you just have to throw them away and say well you know that that come from somewhere Moses didn't really write those those are just myth Uh, and that that becomes difficult uh, and, and understand that these world-class scholars that he's talking about do not believe in the Bible. They don't believe in Christianity in any way. So they're not trying to rest the scriptures to somehow try to make their religion fit with evolution. They're just expressing their opinion on the plain meaning of the text. In other words, when you read that text, that's what it means. Uh, the clear teaching of Genesis is that God created. And there are other scriptures that do the same thing. Uh, Psalm 33, Psalm 102, Isaiah 42 all talk about the God who created the world. God who created the world by his mouth. The God who spoke the world into existence. Uh, Hebrews 1-2 talks about the creator of the world. Uh, Hebrews 11-3 says, By faith uh, we know that God created the world. Now, this isn't a time, this isn't a time we're going to get into the whole thing. Um, I'll probably look a little bit that next week, but you know when when I was when I was a kid when I was in school when I was taking biology in high school, our uh, my biology teacher was not a Christian, but he was teaching in a school that was very you know it was a very conservative uh, community, and so when he taught us the part about evolution. He was very careful in his words to, to do it in such a way that it didn't uh, try not to conflict with, with the belief that most of us had. Um, but what they taught, and what evolution taught, was that life uh, began uh, billions of years ago and slowly and gradually 
step by step, cell by cell, mutation by mutation, grew to what we have today. Very slow, long, slow transformation. And creationists said, no, God created the world like that. Uh, now those who study evolution believe that it happened just like that. They don't believe in that long, slow transformation anymore. They, they have what they call the Cambrian explosion, where all of these life forms showed up all of a sudden just like that. And they can't explain why. Uh, but you know why they went to that? Because they never found any of Darwin's missing links. <coughs> I know when I was a kid, they talked about the missing link. Remember, I, I always thought that there was a link that was missing. You know, it was had all the way to here, and then they had it all the way to there, but there was a link that was missing. But that's not the case at all. There are thousands, millions of missing links, and they haven't found any of them, none of them. Um, and so they had to come up with another explanation to explain the sudden appearance of life. Uh, and, and so they do that. And, 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 and then you ask yourself, okay, if Moses wrote in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, where did he get the knowledge to write that? He never saw a chemistry lab. He never had an astronomical observatory. He just could see the stars that he could see. He didn't do any geological exploration. He didn't look for any fossils anywhere, ever. God told it to him. That's what the New Testament says. He spoke as it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And so it's important for us to believe in the existence of God because Scripture talks about that. But the second reason is, is it's the foundation for our society. It's the foundation for morality in our society. As I was reading the different scientists and their different comments about coming to the point in in learning about Darwinism that they decided that they didn't have to go to church anymore, that they didn't, uh, they didn't have to believe anymore. One of the biggest, the biggest things for them was, now I'm not tied to the morality of the church. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want to uh, because I don't have to answer to the pastor, the priest, the church, God, the, the uh, judgment. And the foundation of our moral society, Genesis, is the only book that provides an account of the origin of all the basic entities of life in the universe. It tells us where life came from. It tells us where you and I came from. It tells us where government came from. It tells us where marriage came from. It tells us where our cultures came from. It tells us where nations came from. It tells us why we die. It talks about the people of God. It talks about sin. It talks about diet and clothes and the solar system. The list of the things that Genesis talks about is almost endless. And the meaning of all those things in the scripture is dependent upon their origin. The gospel depends on the origin of the problem. Why do we need a gospel? Well, we need a gospel because there is sin. Where did sin come from? It tells us. Genesis tells us where it came from. And so it's the foundation for our marriages. 
That, that's why we get married. We, we get married because the foundation of marriage is, is, is in the scripture. It, it's, the, uh, it's the thing that tells us why we live with one man and one woman, that we don't have two wives or three husbands. You know, that, that that's, that's why we do it, because it, that's the way God made it. Uh, it's the reason why the people who are followers of Jesus Christ are those who stand for the sanctity of marriage. That uh, That's what marriage is, one man and one woman. It's why the people who are believers in the Bible stand for the sanctity of life. You know, why, why do we believe that abortion is wrong? Well, if, if man is just an evolved animal, then, then it's not a big deal. But if man is the breath of life given to us by God and we're created in the image of God, then it makes a difference. And all of the foundation for all of that comes out of the book of Genesis. But even more than that, it's the foundation for our gospel of salvation. I've already touched on that just a little bit. But in evolution, there's no creator God who loves his creation. You know, if, if, if nothing else, I could never give up creation for evolution because I really like the idea that God loves me. Amen. Don't you like the idea that God loves you? That there is a creator who cared for you and loved you? If there's no first Adam, there can't be a second Adam. You know, first Adam is the Adam that sinned. The second Adam is the Adam that made payment for our sin. Uh, Paul talks about that in Romans. There's no original sin. There's, there's no law of sin and death. There's no message of the cross. In 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul defines the gospel. Where he says, I delivered into you, you know, the gospel uh, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. On the third day he arose. In chapters 12 through 14, he deals, I'm not chapters, in verses 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians 15, he deals with the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection and believing the gospel. And then after he talks about the gospel and then the importance of the resurrection in the gospel you know where the next place he goes to he goes back to creation and he explains creation as a, a, a is, is an important part of the beginning of the gospel and so when you preach the gospel without the message of Christ as creator and the entrance of sin and death you're preaching a gospel without foundation why do you need a savior if you're not a sinner Anybody answer that? You don't. You don't. In Acts chapter 14 and chapter 17, where Paul is preaching about creation to the Gentiles, when Paul began to talk to them about God, did you know he didn't talk to them about Jesus? He didn't start his sermon about Jesus. When uh, years ago, when I went to uh, I went to Korea, and we did some evangelism in Korea, and the the little church where we were at uh, assigned myself and my interpreter two deaconesses, and the four of us went door to door. Actually, we went to places that these deaconesses knew about. No, we didn't just go door to door. We went to places that they already knew about, and we go in, and in the first house I went to. 
Uh, first place I went into, I went in and I was going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned Jesus Christ. And the girl that I was talking to had never heard of Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh. Where do I start? You know? And I, and I thought back to, to Paul. I said, well, when Paul went to the folks in Athens and began to talk to them about the gospel, where did he start? He didn't start with Jesus Christ. He began telling them about the true God who is the creator. And then he went to the gospel. And so I started by t- telling the folks in these, in these uh, Korean households, I asked them if they had ever heard of Jesus Christ. And when they said no, my next statement was, well, let me tell you a story about the God who made you and loves you. And immediately, their attention, I, I got it. A God who made them and loves them. The good news is, in 2005, Newsweek and BeliefNet asked Americans this question. Do you believe that God created the universe? 80% of the respondents said they did. Now, that's, you know, that, that, that's incredible. After all the money and effort spent on teaching evolution, 80% of the people still believe that God created us. All right, I'm going to stop. Basically, because I don't want to get into next week's message already. Don't want to next week. Yeah. Um, Dr. George Wald, who is a Nobel Prize winner in biology and professor of biology at Harvard, said this. There are only two possibilities as to how life arose. One is spontaneous generation arising to evolution. The other is a supernatural creative act of God. There is no third possibility. Spontaneous generation that life arose from non-living matter was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur and others. That leaves us with only one possible conclusion, that life arose as a creative act of God. Now listen to what he said. I will not accept that. Philosophically, because I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible. Spontaneous generation arising to evolution. See, there's only two views. Spontaneous generation or creation. And if you don't want to believe in God, you have to believe in something that science disproved 120 years ago. If God created us, then mankind has fallen from that created state of being. If there was a first Adam, we need a second Adam. If you believe the Word of God, there is a higher morality. You are a sinner in need of salvation. It's a matter not of science. It's a matter of faith. Whether you're a scientist or whether you're a non-scientist, what you believe is a matter of faith. Just like uh, Dr. Wald said, 
I choose not to believe because I don't want to believe in God. So which do you believe? Next week I'm going to go one word further in Genesis. Created. We're going to talk about created. How do, how do, how, how do we think maybe creation happened? Since I wasn't there, I'm not an eyewitness. Uh, but I can write some. I can I can share some of the things the Bible teaches us about it, and some of the things that we know from studying our world. I don't want you to leave thinking that this was a philosophical argument for belief in a greater being. I want you to believe in an active God who created you, who loved you, who sent His Son Jesus to bring you back to him that's the gospel don't let people steal that from you don't let them steal it let's pray together our father in heaven we pray this morning